Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby, and today have I got a really awesome episode for you all. I brought on my good buddy, Mark from Life Begins at 20, the ever-popular YouTube channel that is definitely growing by leaps and bounds on YouTube, and it is all about Cube. Uh, he does do other videos, such as some pack openings and you know, some other magic related content, but the main focus of his YouTube channel is all about cube. So for any of you cube enthusiasts out there, do not miss this episode because it is all about your favorite format cube. All right, before we begin, as usual, let's get some ads out of the way. And this episode is featured on LegitMTG.com. LegitMTG.com not only has some really well-written articles, but also offers free shipping on all orders over $2 or more. Ever get tired of going to other sites and just have to buy some cheap singles and shipping costs more than what you're buying? No more. Any order over $2 or more has free shipping at LegitMTG.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash Zuby. That's Z-U-B-Y. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And for you, the listeners of Magic with Zuby, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I am definitely getting back into reading a lot more, but there are some times where, especially on my long commutes or if I have to drive for work, uh, there's nothing like listening to an awesome audiobook as well to sort of, I guess, supplement the um, experience of reading, you know, because there are definitely times where you're stuck in a traffic jam and, you know, some maybe a podcast isn't doing it for you, but you want to read a book. Um, for those readers that love reading and listening to audiobooks, uh, audible.com is definitely where you want to be at. Uh, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Zuby, Z-U-B-Y. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Zuby for your free audiobook. So last week, I asked the question, which Magic the Gathering set do you look back at fondly? And wow, the amount of responses I got were a pretty awesome, pretty tremendous, bigly responses. And here they are as follows. John at Istvan Prophet 1, revised always. New card smell just isn't the same these days. I do agree with that. I can still remember the new card smell from Urza Saga. Uh, Mercadium Mask has my fondest memories, wrote Chris Tavo at Heptype C. Uh, Onslaught Urza's Block, Weisman. Uh, Planeswalker Project wrote saying Lorwyn Shadowmoor block. The flavor and art was just divine, and it was where most of my favorite commanders are from. Weirdcards.org said Zendikar. Uh, Marcus Bestchoner or Bestchoner said Legends. The Tagvor actually wrote a pretty lengthy one, but here it goes. There's three sets I fondly remember. Ravnica, the good one, because it got me my four doubling seasons, plus it is the set that started me playing in the first place. I technically started playing while Mirrodin was out, but by the time that I started actually collecting my cards, the set had lapsed and Ravnica had just been released. I swear it's real weird, but when I think back to that point in time of my life, everything else but magic was tainted by horrible things. Like, if I were to describe it like a movie, playing Magic was the happy, bright part at the start of the movie, and everything else is the sliding grayscale to black, evil, horrible part at the end of the movie. 
The next one is Rise of the Eldrazi. I dropped out of collecting and playing Magic right, at a, right after Ravnica finished, but picked it back up with Rise for no real reason other than I needed something in my life that wasn't terrible or Minecraft. So I started buying packs wherever I felt, whenever I felt like it. When I saw how big and huge and powerful the Eldrazi were, plus the tokens and the massive focus on land fetching and mana ramping, I knew I'd got serious about collecting again because those three things are my favorite parts of Magic, so I did. Then a few months later, Scars came out and boom, I was hooked again. Magic was all I could think about and to this day is one of my fallbacks when I'm feeling down, hurt, depressed, you know, the usual human feelings that encompass everyday living. Lastly, my favorite set to date probably has to be New Phyrexia. I remember watching the spoiler pages for weeks, waiting to see something, anything about that set. I knew Poison was a massive problem that Watsi had created and they needed to fix it, but how? Then the product book looked product book booklet that was accidentally leaked and suddenly everyone knew every card like a month and a half out from pre-release it was incredible i was brewing and building cards building with cards that were so far away and i knew they were real not just fakes then when the sets finally came out i had some extra cash so i bought up as many of the cards as i could i love that set so much i think actually i have nearly every single card from that set as a play set i did the same thing with avison the first one uh, Albie MTG, another good YouTuber, wrote Eldritch Moon. I haven't been playing long enough to have a cool answer. I just really miss Eldritch Moon Unlimited. So do I. Uh, Cardzoom wrote saying, well, I started back when Judgment came out. I'd have to say original Zendikar is my favorite. I mean, everybody loves Lan. I have second Rise of Eldrazi too. I remember having a brutal Vengevine deck. Uh, Rain Man wrote gotta be Urza's legacy for me I love that set so much mostly because the blue cards are so blue seriously find yourself a blue card from legacy and compare it to any to one from any other set so blue Urza's destiny was the first pre-release I went to and had some cool cards so that's number two uh Lazaric said dark steel because you always remember your first set then Zendikar I love the archetypes and flavor of the set so many fun cards and allies were a lot of fun even in draft uh, Real Life Dad wrote the whole Scars block. I'm a terrible person. My first and greatest love is the Infect mechanic. Uh, Manticore wrote Avacyn Restored because I love angels and the theme of the set. Abaddon wrote Dragons of Tarkir because it was when I started playing. Need more dragons though. And Kowako wrote Ice Age for me. It was my first contact with magic. And it brings me a touch of nostalgia every time I see it. And that is it for everybody. So I just want to thank everybody who wrote in of what magic set was is the set that you look back at fondly this week's question is how do you feel about the changes to grand prix and the ptqs and nationals regarding modern and um meaning that how wizards is supporting modern less and less as a format in terms of top tier events so Go ahead and write me your answers at mtgzubi at gmail.com, or you can hit me up at Twitter at MagicWizubi. Um, other places to find MagicWizubi are iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, mtgcast.com, and newly aboard on podcastradionetwork.com on 102.6, and I'm on every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock p.m., and so without further ado, I bring you Mark from the Light from the Life Begins at 20 YouTube channel.
ago, and here I am with Mark from the Awesome Cube YouTube channel, Life Begins at 20. I uh, brought him on today because I want to talk about some cube, uh, what is cube, how can you build your own cube, and just some more of the finer points of cube. And to start off with, uh, let's go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, go right ahead. Hi everyone. Um, so basically, I play, started playing Magic: The Gathering from Origins. I got into um, the set really from my friends playing a lot of Magic. I mean, one guy just had a massive collection. I didn't really know what was going on, but he just put out a load of decks for me. Tried a load of different bits and pieces, and it just kind of went from there. I started building my own deck, but the problem I had with um, that at the time was spending a hell of a lot of money on one deck and I got a little bit bored to be perfectly honest just playing the same deck over and over and over again and I couldn't justify spending loads of money on getting a couple of decks or three decks so that's where I came across the cube and I built it purely down to the fact that you know I just wanted to have an experience where everybody could join in everybody could get loads of different decks we could play different things whenever we wanted to and not every single draft scenario is going to be exactly the same so that's why I realistically built my cube. It's just been such a fun experience, and that's a little bit about me. I mean, I started making YouTube content when Milo the Gathering really was petering off, to be perfectly honest, and it's just quite lucky that I seem to have pick up, picked up a fair few people from his channel, obviously, ending, and they've come to my one, and it's kind of ramped up, so I'm, I'm really excited about that, and hopefully can carry on growing in the future. Yeah, no, yeah, man, it's, um, it's been surprising how big your channel has grown, uh, just in what couple months it's been. Yeah, I think I've been on for four months now. And to start off with, I mean, like other YouTubers, we were getting to a point where I was going, okay, I'm putting a lot of work into this and it wasn't really kind of getting yourself bigger very quickly, but it only took like a couple of videos. Uh, I think it was like my top 10 cards for Cube for um, Commander 2016 was the first one, and then it just started ramping itself up from there. So I've been really happy with the progress, and I just can't wait to see what this year brings. Yeah, man, it's exciting, exciting stuff. So I guess let's get on starting first with what is Cube? Uh, okay, so Cube is it could be well, a fairly few amount of different things, but to be perfectly honest, the... The main bit of cube that everybody seems to play is a set of cards, no matter of in singleton format, similar to Commander. So you'd have um, 360 cards as a minimum, really, to have a full drafting experience. So you can have eight players getting a full draft out of that. Um, you set up a cube in a way that each of the um, different colours are supported equally. So a typical template may well be the equivalent to 60 red cards, 60 blue, green, black, white. You then have, say, 30 colourless creatures or artefacts, and then 30 non-basic lands. I mean, if you wanted to add multicoloured cards in there as well, you can adjust the number slightly, but making sure each of the colours are equally represented. So that way that every single player has got the ability to draft this cube to be able to pick certain colours that they think may well be coming around the table to build a deck around and I just like the fact that every experience is going to be completely different and you know every time you're going to play the game yeah you can probably try and draft mono red if you really wanted to every single time but um, someone around the table may well be taking red cards as well so you've got that kind of thing against it but my favourite part about the cube as a overall genre is if you've got yourself um open up your first pack of 15 cards you're going to be struggling to figure out what a really rubbish card out of it is because you can sometimes you're going to end up with 15 absolutely fantastic cards and as the draft goes around you may even find that your 14th pick may still be really useful for your deck as well and i really do like that about it and so a lot of it comes down to 
what you, the cube creator, wants to put into it, it sounds like. Exactly, yeah. I mean, to be perfectly honest, um, you can do it over a singleton format like I've done, um, where you can either have it as pauper, so just common cars. you then got a peasant one, which will be common on and on commons. You've then got a powered cube, which is with all the power nine cards as well, and it's just going to be really, really heavy on amazing, amazing cards that are quite expensive now. Uh, or you you know, you know, can proxy them as well. There's, there's nothing wrong with doing that, because, again, as the creator, it's up to you what you put into it. You can go for an unpowered cube, which is what I've gone with at the moment in time, which is you know everything in the cube. You can be in anything you want apart from the power nine, cards um just because one i couldn't afford to put them in there anyway but i could proxy them if i wanted to and that's definitely a way that i would recommend people to do it the other option you've got is you take a set from time which you really enjoy playing so maybe like the original innistrad block and just making your cube based on drafting experience from that so it worked differently because obviously it wouldn't just be one card from each of them you'd set it up in a way that you'd get a similar number of commons and then uncommons, rares and mythics into it to make it feel like it was an original draft with boosters so that you can just redo it rather than obviously spending, I don't know, 10 quid or $15 or whatever per booster pack, which would be get out of hand very, very quickly. And I just like the fact yeah. that you can just replay it over and over. Yeah, so it almost sounds like it's sort of like a board game you can bring out every once in a while and yeah. I guess re-experience a draft. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's similar to a board game. I mean, I'm quite happy to bring my cube out whenever my friends are coming over. Yeah, we like to play sometimes with constructed decks, and I tend to just borrow a couple of theirs, although I've built a couple of them now. Um, but it is it's just literally like anybody can get stuck in. You bring everything with you. So inside my cube box, for example, I've got the 720-card cube I've got there, so we can play draft or we can play sealed. It's completely down to what everybody's feeling at the time. I then bring a section of um, lands with me as well, already sleeved up, so that no matter what colour they decide to pick, I've got all of the basic lands there as well, including wastes, just in case they wanted to get a couple of cards, um, like Eldrazi creatures or anything like that, that needed waste cards. I've put those in the basic lands as well, um, but that's, again, that's dependent upon the cube builder themselves. And then I'll bring dice and everything else with me as well, so it just it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's similar to um, a board game, and it's just everybody seems to enjoy it. They just kind of literally opening up the first impression when after I built it all. First impression my friends went was, I don't know where to start with this because all the cards are just too good. <laughs> and that's kind of, that's just a really fun thing to have. And it was a great project for me to kind of get on board with. Again, Milo Gathering was fantastic for me. He inspired me to make a cube and then start making uh, YouTube content. And I like watching all of his noob Q videos. They were fantastic. And just seeing all of the gameplay um, videos between him and his friends, it just looked so much fun. And I went, hey, this is going to be a thing once I've built it. I was thinking at the time, once I've built it, I won't have to spend any more money on it. But <laughs> that went out the window. Um, but yeah, once, <laughs> I saying, once I've built it to a good enough standard, then it's just upgrading a few cards every so often whenever new sets comes out. And it'd be interesting to see what I want to take out and what I want to put in. But it's completely down to you as the cube designer how you want your cube to play. So how many cubes do you have right now, personally? Um, this is my first cube. I started it off, I think it was in summer last year, um, still building it up. I mean, I'm getting a load of people uh, commenting on my YouTube videos as I was going through all the colours of what I had into my cube, giving me some really, really great suggestions about cards that I can have to upgrade, take out of my cube. I've made a fair few um, changes as we've opened up cards recently. I haven't done Aether Revolt yet, but I'm planning to. But uh, my girlfriend has given me permission to make a pauper cube as well, and I can't wait to give that process a start. 
So I guess one of the other things that I've always wondered um, when it comes to cube is how do you balance it to make sure one color isn't too overpowered compared to another? Um, that's, it's actually very, very difficult. Um, it depends, depends on what art types you're going for, because as a cube designer, you can go, okay, these are the things I want to have in my cube. So I've gone, um, made sure plus one, plus one counters, because I like that style of gameplay is supported in my cube. Um, obviously white weenies is generally supported in the cube as well. Human sub theme as well going on. I've got zombies and other bits and pieces like that. And you could potentially try and get it balanced off straight away from just planning it out of your head but to be perfectly honest the way that you kind of having it because it doesn't matter with cube once you've built your cube to start with that it doesn't have to be perfect straight away um what i've kind of found is through play testing you and your fellow players can end up going okay this card seems really really weak and i don't know how to deal with that or that card's just so overpowered i don't know how whenever it gets on the board i can't deal with this and it's just made changes as we play through going just doing that over and over again iterative changes and then you'll get to a point where it's just balanced and you're happy okay so a lot of it seems like it's you gotta play it over and over again and try to determine what color is maybe stronger which one's weaker type thing yeah i definitely i mean you you'll be you should be able to see as you're building it anyway i mean if you've got it's not as it's not quite as simple as if you've got more mythics in one color than another then what's going to be overpowered in that respect because there may well be some archetypes that just end up being more overpowered so you know you can have a lot and a lot of cards that are perfect for red aggro but you have nothing in say blue to be able to deal with that or any of the other colors to kind of give yourself a bit of a protection against that um so it's just making sure that Again, you can theory craft it as much as you like, but playing it, you generally kind of see which ones are great, which ones are overpowered, and which ones aren't. But the way that I've done mine, because it's such a large cube, being 720 cards, because sometimes my playgroup like to draft it, and sometimes they like to play sealed. It's I don't get to see the cards as often as if you had a smaller cube. Um, so if I only set it up, say, as a 360-card cube or a 540-card cube or anything in between that kind of size, you'd see probably more of the cards more often, and then you'll start to see, again, more often what is overpowered and which ones aren't, and that kind of thing. But then, at the same respect, is when new cards come out, if you've got a smaller cube, it's even harder to figure out which cards you need to take out to make it balanced. and. Mm. So there is that aspect to it as well. But, it's again, it's completely down to you. And if you said, for example, you don't want any land destruction cards into your cube, fine, fair enough, that's completely down to you. I don't mind it so much. Um, I mean, I've recently picked up uh, from the Vault Annihilation, and a few of those cards will be coming in fairly shortly. My friends didn't like it, I must admit, when I used it on them. Um, but I need to try and get them around the head, it, it, around them from playing... Because we then end up playing multiplayer, and it doesn't seem to work so well for me anyway. In a cube scenario, it doesn't seem to work very well. Um, I want to try and get them to either play two-headed giant if they wanted to play two v two, or just to try and play one-on-one games because it doesn't doesn't really sit that well with the multiplayer game. Because it's like if I'm playing a control deck, for example. I see lots of stuff on the board and I'm wasting all of my stuff on two other people and then I've got no protection against the one person that I was actually worried about. So I need to get them around that. But again, yeah, it's just playtesting it and no cube is a bad cube. That That's the way I see it is no cube is a bad cube. As you play along, you'll kind of see what works well and what doesn't. Okay. Uh, what is it really common for cubes to be singleton format? 
Yes, I mean, generally speaking, most cubes um, are singleton format. It's just because that's the way they are. That's the way they've been built. Again, it's completely down to the designer. I mean, if you play on Magic the Gathering online, generally those uh, legacy cubes or modern cubes are singleton formats. But again, that's completely down to you as the designer. If you wanted to put multiple copies of certain cards into your cube, that's completely fine. Um, Again, if you wanted to make a draft set for Kaladesh, for example, now that Aether Revolt's out, you'd have multiple cards in just to make it um, work better. Obviously, with commons and uncommons, you'd have a couple of copies of each or maybe even four copies of each of the commons just to balance the cube out. But again, that's completely down to you. If you wanted to see multiple copies of a certain thing, you completely can. Um, It's just then making sure that it's balanced. So when, say, like when you're doing a block cube like Kaladesh or Shadows over Innistrad or just Innistrad together, how do you, is there sort of a guideline to determine how many of a single card goes into the cube? Um, it's a little bit more difficult um, when you're trying to do a set cube. Um, the way that I've kind of set it out previously when I've tried to do something similar to that with the draft scenario was I would probably go down the template route of uh, four of every common, two of every uncommon, one of every rare, and one of every mythic. That seems to give a decent enough um, balance for the cube itself, so you don't see the rares and mythics too often, but you see them often enough to um, have uh, seeing 15 of them. Or the other option you've got is literally repacking up to make them into a booster pack. So you take, you've got all your entire booster box you've opened previously and you could just take two booster boxes one of Aether Revolt and one of Kaladesh for example and remake the booster packs if you wanted to or you can go down the route of four common two uncommon one rare and one mythic oh okay that that makes sense never thought of it that way um so when it comes to cube how would you, I guess, try to entice other people to either start building a cube or, you know, play a cube, you know, just to who may may just only really be into booster draft or sealed and, you know, maybe not like the idea of cube? Um, to be perfectly honest, trying to get people into cube originally was actually really difficult for me. And without them trying it. For the first time, it's it's actually a case of, you know, yeah, booster drafts are great. I fully understand that. Um, you don't get to keep the cards in cube once you drafted them, obviously, because then there wouldn't be a cube left. So some people don't necessarily like that. Um, but if, generally speaking, once the people who enjoy playing draft and who enjoy playing sealed play the cube for the first time, they end up going, actually, this is really, really fun and I've never thought of it that way. Because... To be perfectly honest, I didn't actually know that much information about Cube to start off with. There isn't a huge amount of it out there that's like really openly available. I mean, you look on YouTube for Magic the Gathering content creators these days, and most of the time it's products opening, or you look at it sealed or modern. There isn't, uh, sorry, standard or modern. There doesn't seem to be a huge amount of um, resources out there for players to see actually see what cube is milo did a great job and that's how i found it but to be perfectly honest the only reason i found him was because the professor at Tolarian community college actually highlighted his channel and then i went and had a look at it from there and i was really really glad of that um but as for my players my player base once they tried it they really really enjoyed it for Building a cube themselves, if they've never played cube before, I would strongly recommend them to hopefully see it at their local gaming store or someone in the community has a cube for them to play first because 
it can be quite an expensive um, project to have. Needless to say, there's going to be at least a minimum of 360 cards plus lands. You've got to sleeve them all as well. And if someone is really, really interested in doing uh, making a cube, I would definitely recommend them to find a um, decent cube on Cube Tutor. I mean, Milo's Noob Cube is fantastic. Um, as a really nice balance set at the moment. He hasn't updated it, obviously, since he disappeared and went onto his gaming channel. Um... But that's a great one to start with. Or if you wanted to go down the route of pauper or peasant, there are, again, on of loads and loads of different lists. And I would just say proxy them because it's not a you know, uh, an actual competitive legal event to have. You're just playing it between you and your friends or some other people at your local gaming store and it doesn't matter that they're proxied. And then you then don't waste as much money then if you don't enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, then you can just start replacing the card slowly and there's, there's no real rush. Okay. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Um, yeah, because I don't like. So I've never played cube before. Um, I think I, I don't know if I've shown you uh, the one cube I tried to build. What I called the yes, worst cube that. ever. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it really, really bad, and um, could never get anyone to play it though. It was yeah, so I took it apart. I mean, I don't. I think I barely spent any money on it, but it was it was fun little project to add for a couple months. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I started my cube out originally just going through every single one of the cards I had and just trying to put something together with those, and maybe just add a few cards in extra to just fill the gaps in to make all of the colors even and all of the uh, everything match up to be the size it was. And then it was a case of okay some of these cards are really, really bad and I don't want to be playing with them. So I just started then looking at other people's cubes, doing a bit of research and just out. you've started slowly replacing the cards themselves. But I probably did it the wrong way and it's like, I just want to build a cube. For, for me and my girlfriend especially, it was a case of... Um, we started building decks when we building uh, buying lots of booster back, uh, boxes. So we bought a box from Shadows of Innistrad and then... Um, oh, Eldritch Moon. And we started building decks. But the problem was... Obviously, with uh, with the booster box, we didn't buy any extra singles from it. We ended up. I made an investigate deck, and she had a werewolves deck. But the problem problem being, my deck would end up beating hers more often than not, and it just didn't become a fun scenario. And it was also almost slightly putting her off playing the game. So, yeah. building this cube was a way for me to make it a little bit fairer. Have making sure all the cards within it were, so, you know, fairly even, fairly good, uh, fairly um, consistent with each other, so that once we could play a sealed or draft between us, then it would be a little be a lot more fun for her, and she's actually started to enjoy playing the game a little bit more. And thankfully, now we can try out um, standard going into game day next weekend. I oh, know that's exciting. Um, I think you, yeah, you mentioned standard before we started recording. Um, what what decks are you and your girlfriend bringing? So I'm going for a white-black um, fabricate, almost life-drain deck. So it's fairly similar to um, the one that's uh, on MTG Goldfish, where you've got Marionette Master, Zillaport Cutthroat, and Westvale Abbey doing a hell of a lot of work for you in draining down your opponent by killing off creatures and artefacts. And then by doing that with your sack outlets being um, your Henny that's just come out in the new set, and um, I've completely forgotten what the card was now. Syndicate, uh, Syndicate <laughs> Cutthroat, I think that's right. Um, so it's just having Syndicate Trafficker, sorry, that's it. So using those to then sacrifice the creatures slowly, then they build up in size with lots of plus one, plus one counters on them and just swinging in for loads of extra damage. There's lots and lots of ways for my deck especially to 
um, have various amounts of wing conditions, which I can't wait to play. I've been looking forward to it. I always like white black, and it's slightly control element to it as well, which is which is really nice for me. And for my girlfriend's deck, I built her a white green revolt deck because she quite likes playing a Johnny's deck um, for the Planeswalker decks themselves. She liked yeah. the style of uh, revolt from that, and I've just kind of taken that up a little bit of a notch from again what we've opened up within the booster packs of Aether or between us. Um, so the main threat for her is going to be um, Solemn Recruit. That card, if we can get a fair few revolt triggers, which are quite easy to do, it's just going to get out of control very, very quickly, which I did like. Um, I've also also made it so that there's plenty of sack outlets in there for revolt triggers. Uh, there's ways of getting creatures back from the graveyard. Um, and it just looks like a really fun deck. Plus, I chucked a couple of cards in for my cube just to power it up a little bit. So like, we've got the... Um, Virgil's Gear Hulk to give her extra plus one plus one counters in there and we've put in um, Ajani from the new set and Nissa from Zendikar as well just to give her a little bit more help with buffing all those creatures up oh that sounds fun <clears throat> and what game day is yeah next weekend yeah. well by the time this by the time this comes out game day will be over with so oh, okay um so because so we're, you're sort of hearing this from the past so good luck hope you guys do well yeah, no, I'm just looking forward to seeing what she kind of makes of it. There'll be definitely be videos on the channel of like a video log for me how it went because I haven't pl- I haven't played Friday Night Magic in God knows how long. I haven't played Standard in ages, so this is going to be like baptism of fire. But thankfully, it's not going to be quite as um, drastic in my opinion as going to a Friday Night Magic, which is overly competitive. I think this might be a nice middle ground, hopefully, between going for doing a pre-release and a Friday Night Magic for for me and her, for example. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully you guys have fun. Um, besides Cube, uh, do you play any other formats in Magic? To be perfectly honest, uh, I haven't really started playing many other formats. I mean, my friends tend to play more kitchen table style decks. So they are just a mixture of everything. Um, I mean, there's some cards that one of my friend's decks got. It's got commander cards in it. It's got cards from lo- loads of different sets. So it's not really distinctly modern at all. Um, I don't think they even want to touch vintage. So it's just a case of um, we may try a few of their decks out and just play against each other just as a bit of a laugh. It's not really anything majorly competitive. I'd like to um, try modern because I know one of my friends is trying to make sure that his deck is um, modern for playing against each everybody else here and just hopefully getting back into playing Magic because he stops for a fair bit and he's starting to then bring himself back and he has a lot of cards from older sets so he's thinking maybe modern rather than standard is easier for him to get into so maybe want to have a look at that in the future but um no as, as for any other real format i don't i generally haven't played that much oh, okay yeah if you do decide to get into modern let me know because um that's probably my favorite format right now no, that and legacy yeah it's um both really fun formats and also pretty fast too. You can get a lot of games in pretty quickly. Yeah, no, it definitely, definitely looks exciting. And I'll definitely uh, send you messages on the forums for sure to, for any help. Oh yeah, definitely. So, um, what was your first magic set? 
Uh, my first Magic set that I ever bought cards for was Origins. That was the first one which I came into. Um, I moved away from London, moved back into uh, Reading, where I'm based at the moment, and my friends were really happy for that because they hadn't seen me in quite a while. And I spent a lot of evenings over theirs, and all they used to do was play Magic the Gathering. And to I mean, to start off with, I was like... I. I remember buying some cards from it when I was really little. I don't remember what set it was, and I'm hoping I've still got some of those cards, because it'd be interesting to see <laughs> what I've actually bought back then. Who knows, there might be some really, really expensive cards that I've managed to pick yeah. up ages ago. But um, they kind of started getting me into it but with um, constructed decks that they had, and it was a little bit overwhelming to start with, to be perfectly honest. There was loads going on, there was loads of these mechanics, and I started to struggle quite a bit. But... I ended up finding Magic Jewels on my phone and my tablet, and I was just playing that, and it's such such a good application to teach everybody how the game's supposed to work, lots of different mechanics as well. I mean, yeah, there's obviously going to be mistakes when you're playing with your friends because they don't necessarily know all the rules and all things like that, but it just made it a lot easier that I then came back a couple of weeks later after I played Jewels for a little while and I could actually compete with them rather than getting absolutely trounced every so, every single time. So <laughs> that was re- that was really nice. But I never didn't really buy much products until towards the end of Zendikar. I bought a fair bit just to make an allies deck. Just I really liked that mechanic and I wanted to try and make it. But <laughs> like an idiot that I was, I thought, yeah, this is fine. I'm going to make a four color allies deck. This will work perfectly for that one sure. game where everything came together. It was phenomenal. It absolutely destroyed everyone. But there was only that one game. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's that's one of the things I sort of miss about Magic is when you're new to it and you think of all these awesome deck ideas, and um, you know when it does, you you build a deck and it does pay off. You're just like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. Now it's gotten to the point with me personally where you know I'm so entrenched in Magic, especially with competitive play with standard modern and legacy where when i see like a homebrew or i think of a homebrew i'm just like well it sounds like it could be fun but i might as well just play this tier one or tier two deck that i have instead no i completely i can completely understand that and i mean yes there is a case of you can go on the internet and find yourself deck builds and just use one of those and take it to your friday night magic or play these loads of different things it's just like i can understand that to a degree, I did a little bit of that, uh, I'm afraid to say, for my Fabricate deck. Yeah, there's some things I want to try that are completely different to the way that it was on MTG Goldfish, for sure. Um, but it was just a case of what have I got in my trade binder that was worth have, worth trying to play around. And I was like, hey, I quite like these cards. Maybe this will work together as a deck and having a look around and see what was going on. But that white-green revolt deck is completely and utterly something new it may just be completely awful and i'll apologize to my girlfriend if it if it does not perform <laughs> at all but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see but i mean yeah i remember just seeing a set and going oh this is amazing i really like this mechanic i want to try and build something around that now if i went you know battle for zendikar and that came out again now i'd like the allies is a really cool thing but i'd probably only pick two colors maybe flash yeah red. <laughs> yeah yeah no i know what you mean it's um one of the things that you don't realize when you're new is you don't really understand the whole concept of mana curve. Um, you know, how many lands you need to put in your deck and how many of each color yeah. you need to put it in your deck too. No, it's, I, um, um, I found that for sure with playing cube again, with the, as a sealed deck, um, with my friends, just because they're normally asking me every time it's like, okay, how many lands do I need to be putting in for this 40 card deck? Cause they're not used to playing that. And it's, it's quite a nice thing for me to be actually, um, 
for once now, talking a couple years later after first starting, it's like, oh, I actually get to teach you guys some stuff now. This is this is neat. <laughs> that's quite that's quite a nice thing about this game is the fact that you know you're not going to know everything. I mean, yeah, there's probably going to be someone out there that knows absolutely everything about every single format and every single card. But yeah, you know, you're going to have them of teaching you when you first started showing you the ropes, helping you with decks and how they're supposed to play. And now you're, you know, almost the roles reversed now and you're helping someone else and just expanding everybody's knowledge. And I really do like that about this game. Oh yeah. It's, um, uh, I don't know. I, I've been in the game for what feels like forever. And, um, it's, it still never ceases to amaze me whenever a new set comes out. It's just, I, I still don't understand how they can keep coming up with these new mechanics. And there's what sixteen over sixteen thousand unique cards too. Well, I mean, yeah, no, that's 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 something that is quite you know quite mind-boggling to be perfectly honest. Especially when as a cube builder, it was a case of I was looking through recent sets because I didn't know very many of the cards. And you look through cube chooser, uh, other people's cubes, and you go. I've never even heard of that card. What earth is that? And you see some really, really old cards with some of the old artwork as well. And you're like, how on earth is that card still competitive? And then you realize that obviously all the newer cards, something similar to that is also the mana's just gone up a little bit as well. You go, okay, so now it's a case of that's just really cheap. And that's why that's going into someone's cube rather than this one now with an extra one converted mana cost on top. You're like, ah, Okay, fine. Now I can understand how it's in that now. So I've got some cards that I've bought with white borders in my cube as well because they're that old. And it just looks really cool just seeing like magic through the ages through your cube as well. That's something that's quite nice about it. And have um is it also common for cube builders? Is there like tribal cubes? Yeah, definitely. I mean I've got um sort of a human tribal going on within my cube, especially down in white, maybe a little bit of green as well. Uh, zombies is something else that I've um, not really trying to put it in there. It's just happened um, because obviously starting with Shadows of Innistrad and, El- and um, Eldritch Moon, there's going to be a lot of zombie cards within that set that I was putting in. Some of them are great. Some of them may need to be replaced at some point soon, but the likes of Crit Breaker and things like that. And then there was the dual deck, Blessed versus Curse. So we had Gravecrawler from that as well, which is a really, really good card. Um, so yeah, it's completely down to the individual whether they want to have you know, a ninja deck, for example, uh warrior's <laughs> deck, soldier deck, or anything along those lines. You can build whatever you want, and that's just the best part about cube is it doesn't matter what your cube is how you've built it to a certain point as long as it plays well against everything and it just works as a solid all-round piece you could be whatever the hell you want it to be and that's just that's just really nice yeah it just sort of dawned on me because i'm i make um or i have these two sort of dual decks that i made for my kids and i just really simple cards uh, yeah. goblins versus elves and i've been think i've been slowly trying to build a zombies deck and an yeah. angels deck and maybe a wizards or merfolk deck and sort of just done on me just now talking to you is why not i make a tribal cube out of those instead and maybe have the kids learn how to do sealed or draft as well you yeah, know definitely i mean yes obviously you little starter decks are going to work perfectly um i think whoever picks the wizards deck you're gonna have a problem there because they're gonna like blue but um you know it you could completely do that as long as everything is fair within the colors your kids may end up picking up a way of building a deck that you never even thought of and you went oh my god zombies and wizards that's horrific i don't want to see that ever again um 
but that's actually that's a really nice idea and as long as everything works together um the mana base is really nice i mean that's something that i've certainly been working on recently and i had to buy a fair few singles of because of the size of my queue being 720 cards i just wanted to make sure that you'd be putting in um any of the non-basic lands within the cube as well so it's similar to you know you're opening a pack of um kaladesh for example and picking out one of those rare lands um and I just wanted to make sure that that was fair. And I had loads of tap lands when they come in tapped or they came in. And if you reveal a land, for example, it then doesn't come in tapped. But for the aggressive players, I just need to make sure I had something in there. And it's not perfect at this moment in time, but I've made sure I've got all of the pain lands um, that came in with Origins. And I had to buy some from like fourth and fifth edition as well, because they were the cheapest at the time to make sure that that was a full set. Um, so again, if as long as you've got all the colors to be fairly even, obviously with say for example you had 60 of each and for blue you're probably going to have more like 25 creatures 35 spells or something like that whereas green you're probably going to go the other way around with 35 creatures and 25 spells or something along those lines and as long as it works out nicely for you go for it i mean your kids will probably tell you dad this isn't working and (laughs) i don't i don't understand what's going on but it's just definitely worth a try yeah heck i may i may start building that then because um doing just building the constructed decks feels a little bit hard because um right now i'm working on the black and white one and white just seems a little too overpowered because it's it's mainly angel themed and as long as they don't die within the first couple turns they can just start putting out really powerful angels out yeah definitely it's yeah (laughs) you've got enough removal to get rid of all those flyers as well yeah yeah, and th- that's the thing. It's um, especially with, like my red goblins deck right now. The goblins deck is meant to be really fast and yeah. has you know lightning strike and shock and just to kill the person really fast. But once they get angels out, it's pretty much it's done. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand that. Maybe maybe have a look at humans and angels just to have a little bit of a balance going on. Yeah, yeah, probably. But um, no, I, I might start working on a tribal cube then. To, maybe my kids will enjoy that. No, definitely. Um, I mean, there's probably... Um, I'll have a look on Cube Shooter, but there's probably going to be someone out there that's tried building them. I mean, some people have put their cubes out on Tapped Out as well, so there's there'll be some out there. I'll have a look for you as soon as uh, this is finished. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. Thank you. No problem. So um, outside of Magic, um, what do you like to do? Um... Well, as a kid, I was really into playing golf. That was that was my main hobby. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, you got the Mickey taken out of you at school because oh, golf's only for old people. But um, I got to I got to a pretty decent standard. I was playing for my golf club as a junior. Um, went off to university. Yeah, I played lots of computer games. Worked in the games industry. Absolutely hated it. Um, oh, really? Why yeah, is that? I mean, I I was an environment artist on two games. Uh, it was uh, Connectables Now with Bears for the Xbox 360 and Connect Disneyland Adventures. Um, and I came in at the point in time, just finished university, I got offered a job straight away, and I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I'll take it. You know, not thinking about anything. It's a three-month contract with the potential of a job at the end of it, so there's the little carrot on the stick there for you um, yeah. if you do well. And... Was doing. I was working as hard as I could. We came in straight into crunch time. And if anybody has ever told you about crunch time in the games industry, it is as bad as it sounds. So we were working 14-hour days, seven days a week for three months straight. Yeah, you got a takeaway after 8 o'clock if you stayed late, which you always did. And 
is just horrific. I mean, one of the um, programmers at the time was his first game he was a senior programmer for, and he was sleeping underneath his desk. He hadn't been home for two weeks. It oh was my just, gosh. it was, it was painful work. And I mean, yeah, I didn't get the contract to the end of it because the people who arrived before me got the contract. Fine, completely understand that. And I just went, as much as I love playing computer games, you have to love the game you're making to, to, to be in that industry. Oh, that's the thing I found from it anyway. So I went away from that and I decided I'm pretty decent at golf. Maybe if I spend as much of my money as I've got left, just training and training and getting lessons and seeing where I can get from, through this, I'll give that a try. And I was like, okay, I got to a decent level. I was having lessons. I got my handicap down to six. So I was only a few off from possibly being able to turn pro, even if it was just a case of teaching. Um, and I'd run out of money, obviously, because I couldn't get, I couldn't get a job. I got turned down from McDonald's <laughs> 21 times. Because wow. I think I must have been overqualified for it or something, but oh, just I just wanted money. That's all I wanted. I just wanted enough money to go and work, to then go and play golf. That's all I wanted to do, but I couldn't manage that. And luckily, um, my family work in television um, as freelancers, as a cameraman and an EVS op, and I was like, oh, this is, this that sounds really cool. So they took me out to one of the outside broadcasts and showed me what an EVS operator does, which is basically turning around replays as soon as it's, the actions happen. So that whenever you watch any sporting event on the telly, you see all these replays, that would have been what I used to do. And I got into that, and it was it was really, really good. But the problem was, being freelance, there wasn't a huge amount of work for me at the time. And to cut a long story short, I managed to get into a big sports company, a massive television company. I'm now working as a video editor for a sports news channel. And that's why I'm not staying up for Super Bowl tonight, because all I'm going to do tomorrow is see it. <laughs> oh, wow. No, that's pretty cool, though. You work in television. That's Yeah. That's pretty neat. It has definitely helped me with my channel being able to, you know, to be able to be a technically a professional editor. So that that those things have helped me quite considerably. So I know obviously with audio levels and doing a bit of After Effects. I mean, this channel's helped me a hell of a lot for my actual job because I never used After Effects before. And using my channel almost that's how it started off. It just making content was just really to teach me how to do After Effects. But because the channels actually started doing well, I then kind of went, oh, wow, this is really, this is really cool. So I just he kept snowballing and snowballing, and I just like enjoy making content on my days off. And to be perfectly honest, it's only going to help me in my professional career as well, because I know After Effects now, Premiere, and other bits and pieces like that. So if I need to use any of that software at work, I'll know how to use it. Yeah, definitely. No, that sounds really cool. Um yeah. <laughs> no, but that's awesome that you also played golf. Um, I played golf for a while okay. um, as a kid. Yeah. And um, I mean, never really that good. Uh, w- one of the things that I always remember being a kid is my grandpa at the time owned a stake in a golf course. Okay. So during the summer, I would, um, you know, go to this golf course and play there for free, like, you know, a couple times a week. Yeah, no, I'd have loved that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember those were some of my favorite times. And then at one point um, during college, when I was living with my dad, we lived right behind a golf course, too. So during those long summer days, you know, after five yeah. o'clock when it closed, I would just go there and, you know, sneak onto the course and oh, play definitely. a couple holes. 
No, that sounds fantastic. I would have loved that. I mean, when I was in university, I didn't get to play all that much, but by the end of it, I had my car and I started going to the driving range a little bit often. I just saved up all of my money that I got from my part-time job at uni because obviously I didn't know anything about magic then, so my money would have probably gone on that if I'd known about it. <laughs> um, but I saved up all my money from a part-time job and all of that while I was at university and I bought myself a custom-fit set of golf clubs. The whole lot, I spent an absolute fortune on them. I've still got those clubs now, but without actually playing much golf, I managed to drop my handicap by three shots and I got from nine to six. And I was just like, hey, I'm actually all right at this thing. Maybe we can see how it goes further. But like recently, I think it was last summer, um, I played a, I played a round of golf with two old gentlemen, and they brought a um, an ex tour pro with them. So he was like two hundredth in the world. So he wasn't awful by any stretch of the imagination, but he just wasn't top top top. And I just saw the level difference between me thinking, "Hey, if I practice enough, maybe I can get there." But as soon as I saw that, I was just like, "There is a golf between me and this guy. Absolute golf. May as well be the size of the Grand Canyon." It was just. <sighs> Oh jeez! But yeah, it's, um, it's something to aspire for, and I'm I'm happy within myself now that I play golf to a decent standard. I can beat my dad all the time, so that's all that matters. Um, <laughs> and it's just a nice thing as a hobby to just play. It's relax. It helps relax you. And um, my girlfriend has started playing a little bit, which just easing her in. Maybe she wants to pick it up. Maybe she won't. I'm not going to force her into doing that. But we've got something uh, top golf over here. I know. I think there's some over in America somewhere. Um, so yeah, it's almost like right. temp in bowling for for golf, and it's just a nice day out, getting some nice food, hit some golf balls, get points for it. And it doesn't matter how good or rubbish you are, you still end up getting some points. So it's just a good evening out. Yeah, it's. Um, I've still got my golf clubs as a kid. I've been trying to get rid of them. They're <laughs> a little bit too small for me. Yeah. But um. Since being left-handed, no one really wants to buy left-handed golf clubs, and that has always been one of the biggest pains. I, yeah, I don't know. No, my maybe dad's it's the same yeah. over. No, my dad's the same over there. The thing yeah. is, with with the, you have the also got the benefit then of because not very many people want to buy them. It also then means that they you, you'll be able to buy yourself a set if you wanted to try it out again, and it'll be cheaper than if you were right-handed. Really? Why is that? Because I've always thought left-handed golf clubs were going to be more expensive in the long run. No, I mean, my dad seems to find whenever he wants to buy himself new golf clubs, generally whenever I've bought myself a new golf club, he'll often want to get the next best thing up because that's just how my dad works. But he'll just go <laughs> off on eBay and he'll end up finding these golf clubs and be like, yeah, I've got this brand new driver that's only been out a few months at like 150 quid off the retail price. And I'm just sitting there going, I couldn't find that. Right-handed, he's got no chance. So huh. there, there is that side of it as well. Is obviously because there aren't as many left-handers, the people who are actually trying to sell the clubs maybe go, oh, there isn't that many of us, so maybe we'll have to put the price a little bit lower. Or you just get lucky on eBay sometimes, to be honest. Yeah, I guess I never really thought of that because I know every time I've gone to, you know, one of those sporting stores and they have the golf section, there's like maybe two clubs out of each, you know, section that are left-handed and oh, yeah. just like, oh. God, it's so yeah, sad. No, I, can, I can understand that. It's, it's difficult to pick up the clubs, for sure. I can understand that. We've been quite lucky over uh, in this country. There's actually um, a left-handed golf store that's just in a couple of few places, and they they, they ship Jeez. all over the UK as well. So it's just a left-handed golf store. Um, my dad's really happy with that, obviously, because he's down in the right area of the world to go and uh, visit that. Um, but no, they, I think it's starting to 
come a little bit more and be a little bit more available because I just remember my dad taking me to all these golf shops when we were little and he was getting frustrated because he was like oh I wanted to buy myself something new and there was nothing there but then I was like well seeing as you haven't bought anything can I get a new something so it worked to my advantage a little bit <laughs> no that's cool uh, the one thing I have learned to do over the years is I can putt either you know right handed or left handed yeah. um, but bo- both ways seem to be about the same I mean obviously left handed is better for me but I can still do just as well right-handed, though. Yeah, no, I mean, to be perfectly honest, that was a thing that um, when I was playing golf and when I was really trying to get somewhere, short game was so much more important than everything else. And I used to spend hours practicing my putting, practicing my chipping, and it just got a little bit of out of hand, to be perfectly honest, because I never really enjoyed putting when I was um, when I was younger. I hated it, and it was the worst part of my game, but it's slowly become probably the best part of my game now with a little bit of tuition and I've learned aim point as well which is what you see on any of the golf coverage you see a lot of people holding their fingers up maybe one two or three to find out what the break is and putting like that and it just it just helped me to no end yeah who's um your favorite pro player right now uh right now I mean there's some great stories out there um I mean I I do miss Tiger Woods not playing I I, because he's trying to come back I don't think he's ever going to come back to the same way that he was no I don't think so um I mean Sergio Garcia I'm I'm hoping for him just to get himself a major championship because he deserves one he's been phenomenal and we were watching actually the event finishing just this morning uh, with Sergio winning over in Dubai and my girlfriend was we were watching him hit started one of his tee shots doing his pre-shot routine my girlfriend's like I've just figured out, figured out where you've got your um, pre-shot routine from because it's just when he def- when he's like regripping the club loads and loads of times before he hits the shot. That's what I copied as a kid because that was what I was growing <laughs> up with. And she's like, oh, I've just figured out how you got it from. You you copied him. Uh, I mean, I'd love to see that. But there's been some great stories. I mean, Jason Day having such a horrible childhood, going through all that he did, um, and then becoming world number one was phenomenal. The thing that I regret the most was. Being the age that I am, I missed seeing Seve. I didn't get to see Seve Ballesteros ever play, and that is one of the big regrets. I mean, I love watching all the old stuff and just seeing how amazing he was. He didn't win as many golf tournaments as Jack Nicholas did by any stretch of the imagination, but he yeah. was by far the best actual golfer on the planet, definitely. And I'd love to have seen that. Yeah, definitely. Um, my favorite has always been Phil Mickelson. Oh, he's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, mainly because he's left-handed. It's, That's an understanding. I got a root for the left-handed person. Yeah, it's not Bubba Watson then. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. It's um, I've always had a thing for Phil Mc, Phil Mickelson. I think he's always been a really good player. Um, I haven't actually been watching golf in a couple of years, but whenever I do catch it on, you know, I'll keep it on in the background and all that and. Yeah, no, Phil Mickelson. It's just the thing that I love about him is similar in the way to Seve. No matter where he puts himself on the golf course, because he does put himself in some very, very peculiar paces, he can get up and down from near enough everywhere. And it's just amazing to see how he manages to do that. I I absolutely, absolutely adore that. And I I don't watch all the golf events, don't by any stretch of imagination, but any major championships in the Ryder Cup, I'm glued to that television because it's just so good. Yeah, no, definitely. so besides work and besides magic um, and besides golf, do you have any other hobbies or anything like that? Or I mean, I, I play a fair few computer games for obvious reasons. Um, I, I play a lot of League of Legends. Yes, it's a bit of a toxic atmosphere, not to, not to 
put put it down. That's probably quite mild, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> there are there are a lot of people, but to be honest with my friends, we end up playing on League of Legends, just having a little bit of a laugh. I mean, I'm, I, I try to try and get myself up in the single duo queues to try and get myself a little bit higher up in the rankings, but it's just. It's just a bit of a laugh, and when as soon as you start taking it a bit too seriously, you get frustrated by every single little mistake you've made. Then yeah. it doesn't become a game anymore, and then it's just an absolute joke. But um, no, I enjoy my computer games. I played every single Team Raider game, and I absolutely adore them. Um, I can't wait for Kingdom Hearts to come out this year. I hope it's this year anyway. Kingdom Hearts Three, I absolutely can't wait for that. Um, but besides that, uh, we're training for a half marathon coming up in October, so we're looking forward to that. Um, trying to think, I don't really do all that much else. I love my TV shit, my t- mainly movies rather than TV shows. But as soon as Game of Thrones comes back out again, we'll be glued to that and just watch a load of films and just chill out. Really, it's not. I don't do a huge amount of stuff. I don't go out yeah. clubbing or anything along those lines because that doesn't interest me in the slightest. But anything to do with good food, I'm there. That sounds good. Um, have you read the Game of Thrones books? I've read most of them up to the point where we are now, but I haven't. I don't know whether there are any books going in the future series yet. I kind of, I'm not actually 100% sure, but I kind of stopped watching them as soon as the Game of Thrones TV show started catching up to where I was. I just kind of stopped reading the book and just let the TV show do it for me. Obviously, I yeah, know there's well, going to be some discrepancies, as there always is for books going into television yeah. shows or Lord of the Rings going from book to film, and you kind of go you've missed out so many sections, but it doesn't matter because it's still my favorite film. Yeah, no, um, the, the show right now in Game of Thrones, it's way ahead of the books now. Yeah, it's, I mean, um, I think someone, from what I remember saying, because it still comes into Sky, um, in a handcuffed briefcase, all of the episodes come into Sky like that, to, um, before they actually get put onto our system to then be played out, which is quite entertaining, really, but I just, I just remember that Tolkien, oh, no, sorry, um, he couldn't actually keep up with everybody writing the script, so I think HBO have started writing and changing the stories, which, because that's where you kind of see, you've got a theme going with all of the seasons where some great stuff would happen at the beginning, middle would peter off, and then the end would be absolutely phenomenal, Yeah, and then it started becoming, the gaps in the middle started to become bigger, so you could almost like watch the first couple of episodes you wouldn't miss much in the middle and then episode eight it would just kick off completely and then nine and ten would kind of just ease you back into figuring out what on earth just happened over the course of the rest of the season and put them to a point ready for the next one so i'll be interested to see what happens because obviously they're smaller no they're longer episodes but there's less of them in there for the next two series oh is it really there's there not have the 10 episodes no i think it's i think it's seven and then six for the final two seasons. Oh, but I think they're supposed to be longer episodes, maybe an hour and a half each one. Oh, okay. So you might, you might get um, a little bit more from it. I think, it's, it, to, be, to be perfectly honest, but I don't know if everybody here has watched it or not, but it's just going to be interesting to see what happens when the White Walkers meet dragons. That's just going to be amazing. I can't wait for oh, that. I cannot, yeah, I cannot wait. Um, yeah, that's going to be exciting for hopefully, sure. Hopefully no White Walking dragons. That might be problematic uh they'll figure out something crazy <laughs> you know j- just when you think the good guys are going to start winning nope you know everybody's dead it's fine because samuel tarley's where he needs to be to save the day for everyone oh you think he's going to save the day well he's, i'm sure he's going to figure something out in a giant library full of books it might take him a while yeah. it might take him a while <laughs> but it, there's got to be something about him because we wouldn't have bothered keeping on with him if he wasn't going to do something 
Yeah, true. It's um, yeah. He he's I I don't really care for him that much because, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he does figure out something. And at least last season they showed um Bran again. Yeah, you know. I mean, unfortunately, the whole Hodor thing. Oh, and, poor Hodor. I know. But um, no, yeah, it'd, be, it's, it'd be interesting to see again. It's whether they um. We'll see with all of the stories being whether Daenerys figures out that Jon Snow is actually related to or not. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm glad that the show actually confirmed that because that that was still a mystery in the books. That um, you know, it was always speculated that Jon Snow was not really uh Ed Stark or Ned Ned not Ed Ned Ned Stark's um son, but was actually like you know his niece or nephew. I mean, yeah. um, I mean, I remember watching Game of Thrones and the, like back when, just before the Red Wedding happened, and my friends were like going, oh, you've read the books, come on, what's going what's to happen, what's going to happen? And I was like, I don't really want to spoil it for you guys. And they were like, oh, no, no, just say one thing. <laughs> and as soon as I said Red Wedding, that episode happened, they saw them all go in there, and they went, I know exactly what's going to happen now, and you've ruined it for me. And I was like, well, you, you asked me to. I thought Red Wedding yeah. was quite, you know, it was, it was fairly low-key up until the point when it happened. But... I just I just remember seeing the reaction for people that have never watched it before, and it's like the first season. You're like, "Hey, the Ned Stark, he's a really cool character." We're like, "Oh, he's dead, right? Okay, this, <laughs> this is a really cool character." Oh, he, what? And he just saw all these really cool characters. He starts to love, and it's like, "Nah, killing him off because we can." Yeah, yeah, that 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 was sort of heart wrenching because I watched the first season of Game of Thrones first before reading the books, yeah. and I remember like when Ned died, I'm like, no, no, that can't be, no, <laughs> not freaking Ned Stark. But um, you, you know, mentioning the to be honest, because it is yeah, Sean Bean, no matter what, he dies. I Everything know. he's in. <laughs> no, but um, also the one thing that kind of disappointed me that they didn't put in the show was um, Lady Lady Stoneheart, uh, yeah. where Caitlin Stark comes back from the dead. Yes, no, definitely. Um, that's something. I mean, to be perfectly honest, every every kind of book to television screen has problems like that. You just can't necessarily yeah. fit them in. I mean, my biggest thing that we're moving slightly off topic, going back to Lord of the Rings. As much as Tom Bombadil was a pretty cool character and the Barrowdowns was a pretty cool thing, it would have taken them a full film for them to get from Blumen Hobbiton to Rivendell, and we don't really need that. But the one thing I really wanted to see was just like they killed off Saruman on top of the tower in Isengard, and I was just like. What about the Hobbit Rebellion? I mean, that was such a yes, fun part I, of that book. I absolutely love loved that. Of the show. Yeah, that um, would have been amazing well, no, to see. Well, the one thing that always bothered me with them not including the Barrow Dines, Downs, this gets a little bit Tolkien geek for me. <laughs> is um those swords that the Hobbits find in yeah. those Downs are actually what causes Mary to be able to actually help kill the witch king when Eowyn stabbed him in the face yeah. because those swords were supposed to be like designed or, or enchanted to be able to get rid of the barrier that allows, you know, the witch king not to be able to die. Yes. Whereas they kind of went, Oh, because it's a woman, not a man we stab it in the face and it dies. It's like, uh, okay. Right. Yeah. Surely there's still, you still count as a race of men, but no, nah, it's fine. The thing that really, I have my biggest issue with, the the Lord of the Rings films is as soon as he gets crowned king, I turn it off. I just turn it off because that half an hour really? afterwards, where they're all happy, um, they've gone back to the Shire, and it just takes so long for them to end the film because there's no Hobbit rebellion. It was just like everybody saying goodbye. Yeah, Sam gets married. 
Frodo cries a little bit, then they go off to the the boat. It just it just it just drags on far too long. That that was my only issue with the ending. I mean, it's a nice ending. Don't get me wrong. It just drags on too long, especially on the extended version. I I can see that. And my biggest problem with the film, still to this day, is in the two towers when quote, when Aragorn quote unquote dies, falls off the cliff. Okay, and I'm just like that does not fucking happen at all, <laughs> and it drives me insane. And it 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 adds no value to the story at all. It's no. just. It's like, oh, this, you've fallen off this cliff, you've sort of died, you've got the horse that you set free, and you've seen the big army coming. Great. Um, thanks. Yeah. And it's still, and another one that still bothers me is when Faramir takes Frodo and Sam hostage and <laughs> takes them to Iskiliath. It's like, that doesn't happen at all. Please. Ah, just drives me insane. Oh, well. It, yeah. To be perfectly honest, you can, you're not going to you're not you're never going to appease every single person. It's just, it's just impossible to do. I know. I still think one of the best scenes in that in all three of those movies, um, probably she loves Lair. That's spider. fantastic. I mean, it. Uh, I I remember watching Return of the King the day it came out, yeah. and when Frodo told Sam to go away, I'm like. I was pissed, like generally pissed. Like that does not fucking happen. <laughs> no, he no. doesn't tell him to go away. <laughs> no, I mean to be perfectly honest, I just I, lo- I love the films. I watched the first one in the cinema four times. I was really into Games Workshop at that point in time, so I was getting all the miniatures yeah. from them, painting them up, playing the games with them, read all the books, and it was just I, I couldn't get enough of that film. I still watch it religiously at least once a year as well, just because yeah. I love them. And if I was ever stranded on a desert island and I needed something to keep me going. Just bring those three films with me and I'd be set. What did you think of the Hobbit trilogy? Um, the extended version added not very much, to be perfectly honest. I think the problem was, especially for new people, at the beginning of the film, you showed Bilbo alive and old, and it's like, well, you know nothing's ever going to happen to him, so you never felt scared. You never were like, yeah. oh, God, Bilbo. He's like, you know, on the edge of the cliff when the two mountain... Um, the rock golems were having a good go at each other and it's just like, okay, he's hanging off the edge but it's fine, he'd be safe. Um, or all this other stuff happened. It's, it was, you know, they were nice films. The singing and dancing, I think they didn't need to put in. I know it was in the books because he wrote the books for his children but they did not add anything in the slightest for me. Um, but no, the way they did the dragon was fantastic but I just wish that they'd done that film first just so that you almost felt a little bit scared for the characters because knowing Bilbo doesn't die it kind of spoils it a little bit especially for someone that hasn't ever you know if they've never read the book before it just you didn't need to, if you didn't show him at the beginning it maybe people wouldn't have necessarily got the same reaction to it of well oh, he's fine he's got like an invincible cloak on him he's never going to die yeah yeah it's the one things that always kind of bothered me with them was they tried to tie it too close to Lord of the Rings. And I understand why, because they're prequels yeah. and um, it was just the whole, how I guess they characterized the ring in those movies where it already showed Bilbo becoming controlled by it. Yeah. And also how smog can see Bilbo still with the ring on or I whatever. Think it wasn't necessarily that you could see it. I think he could just smell the ring and that was, that was how strong it was for him to be able to know where he was. I think that was the case anyway, because he's just because he's just been um, consumed by gold. I think that was the reason why you could see him when he had the ring on. I think no, that's I don't the case. Know. I'm not hundred percent sure, but again, another thing that kind of just didn't work for me was you had Azog doing whatever he was doing all on the entire film. And it's like he doesn't exist. 
Well, he existed, but he was dead during the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh. and it's just like, yeah, you've got you've got Sauron back and all this kind of stuff, and then you see the point in time where Saruman then gets turned by the power, and it's just like, oh, no, that, yeah. that's not that's not the story. Please stop. I, I still I still feel it should have just been two films, not yeah. three. No, no, it was definitely a case of that was my girlfriend's comment for it was it was just too long. They didn't need half of the stuff that was in there. Which is, you know, understandable because there are a fair few films out there which you can watch and go, that was just too long. There was just yeah. a lot of chaff in the middle that didn't need to be there. The barrel, the, to be fair, the barrel riding scene was really cool. I did like that. Yeah, it was fun. Um, I enjoyed the movies for what they were. Yeah. But when it comes to comparing them to their source material, mm. no, they, they were bad. <laughs> no, but, I definitely um, have to say Lord of the Rings is definitely my preferred out of all of them by a country mile. I love those films. I mean, yes, I'd love them to see all of the other stuff. I mean, I played through Lord of the Rings online to a certain point until I got bored with it. Um, and just to see all of the storyline from there, because they'd done it quite nicely, to be perfectly honest. And I just enjoyed playing through, seeing Middle-earth, exploring it and that kind of stuff. And to be perfectly honest, um, once the final film had finished of The Hobbit, and we finished God again and we're coming out of the cinema, I was sad, because I was just like, there's never going to be another film in Middle-earth again. And that's just... That that was quite sad for me because I just loved all of the films and all the characters yeah. that were in in that place and it's just like I don't think anything's ever gonna come close to that for me anyway until they obviously remake it in twenty years time because that's what everybody seems to do at the moment pretty much <laughs> um, well there's been rumors of them trying to do a show series of the Silmarillion which I think is a terrible idea oh, that'd be awful. Yeah, because Silmarillion reads more like a Bible than anything. Um, I mean, it's just lots of bitty short stories that just kind of piece bits of his mind together, I suppose. It was just just a mess by the end of it. I mean, there's some great little snippets in there, there's some great little bits in there that you can get from it, but as a TV series, no thank you. Yeah, it'd be bad. Um, Plus, the thing that always drove me crazy when trying to read the Silmarillion, especially the first time, is there are so many names. And then yeah. people will change their name in the story, <laughs> but they still call them by their old name too. Yeah. And I, oh, I hated I'm, it. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for. I haven't actually subjected my girlfriend to Lord of the Rings yet, but I'm waiting for her to go. Why is it Gandalf? And why is he Stormcrow? And why is he something else? And why is he? I'm just confused. I'm just like because he can. I think that's pretty much. It's just pretty much a case of yeah, he's named all these things because he can. Because he's Gandalf. I mean, what more do you want pretty, from pretty him? Much. Pretty much. Um, you know, you being over in England, have you ever visited um, Tolkien's gravesite or anything? I haven't, to be perfectly honest. I, uh, to be, it never really crossed my mind. Um, the thing that I'd really love to do at some point in time in my life is to go over to New Zealand, visit Weta, and visit um, the Hobbit, the Shire scene. I'd love to see all of that stuff because oh, I know, it would too. just be phenomenal for me. Yeah, we want to try and tie it in with uh, maybe a Lions tour over in New Zealand as well, so we get to see a bit of the rugby. Um, and that'd be a really nice holiday, but... No, I would, that would be my dream holiday. Well, second dream holiday. My first dream holiday would go over to Egypt and go and visit all of the temples and pyramids and all that kind of stuff. But with the way things are in the world over there, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So I'll stick to New yeah. Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got a coworker that goes to New Zealand um, probably 
every other year. Oh. And um, he went last year, and he I told him specifically to get pictures of the Shire, yeah. and he did. And oh. he said it's actually it's actually pretty expensive to visit and all yeah, that. Yeah, no, I can understand that. But um, yeah, because apparently before it was just some guy's farm and field and all that, and then they turned it into the Shire, and then they kept it around. You know, the second time they built it, and yeah, now it's just a big tourist spot. Yeah, no, I can understand that. I mean, I would love to go and see Weta because I did three D animation and stuff at university. I kind of get a little bit more of an appreciation out of all of the stuff that ends up happening in those films, and I'd love to go and visit to see the sculpts of all of the like certain characters. I mean, like you know, Gollum's character that'd be fantastic, and all the bits and pieces like that, and just probably end up spend all of my money buying everything from from that place. <laughs> that'd be my biggest problem because just I, yeah, it was probably the first. Um, real trilogy of films or real films which I mean there's been some fantastic films over time I mean Shawshank Redemption's absolutely incredible the Harry Potter series is, can be a bit hit and miss at times but this is the first trilogy which kind of captured me and uh, went yes I, I would love if if I could go into any film and live yeah that'd, that'd be a pretty cool film to live in I'd love to go live there that'd be fantastic what in Middle Earth screw yeah, that, do that. I, don't, I don't know I don't know um I, th- I think we get a little bit too um, spoiled by modern conveniences. Because think about it, you, you don't even have refrigeration. Yeah, you know? this is true. <laughs> you don't even you don't even really have sources to clean water that you know of. Um, you'd have to go and hunt all your food or grow all your food, which doesn't sound yeah, bad. No, it you know. builds character. <laughs> it does, but I, I think just the lack of electricity and. Yeah. Um, refrigeration that'd be huge you know like oh i can't just go and get bottled water whenever i want what is this <laughs> yeah no, I, I can see your point i can see your point no but i mean i would still love to be able to you know i i guess i look at it like a star trek point of view like with the with yeah. the holograms uh you know in the hollow rooms like i i'd love to visit middle earth in a hollow room where i can just yeah, turn it off cool. when you know, I don't want to get killed by a bunch of orcs or whatever. <laughs> just like casually walk across the Balrog before it happened. Be like, ah, I'm just gonna. Uh, t- can I leave now? Come on, I'm just keep pressing yeah. the button. <laughs> no. no, but um. All right. Well, I just want to thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate you coming on, talking some cube with me, and then talking about golf and uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, I mean, I could go on and on about yeah, Lord of the Rings definitely. here. No, that's been um, a pleasure, mate. Thank you. Well, uh, uh, before we go, uh, where can people find you? Uh, go ahead, plug everything you want to plug. Right, okay. So, um, first of all, obviously, you can see me on my YouTube channel, which is Life Begins at 20. Um, or there'll be links on there as well to my Twitter account, which again is at Life Begins at 20. Facebook will be slash Life Begins at 20, so you'll be able to find me on there. Um, I'm always around on Twitter or Facebook, so anybody ever messages me or puts any comments on my YouTube videos, I'm always there to respond to everything, and that's something that I'm hoping to keep going for as long as I possibly can. I don't think I'll ever get to the point where there's more subscribers and more comments than I can handle. So whenever, <laughs> if you have any questions, no matter what, you can you can find me on there. There's also a link to my email address on there, which is just mark.lifebegins at 20 at gmail.com. If anybody has any questions about Cube or anything else, feel free to email me and I will respond to you. Okay, great. So thank you a lot again for coming on. No and, problem, mate. And have a great night, all right? You too.